0: Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. We have a great conversation today with Tana Ford. Tana is a Florida-based creator. She did a book called Duck. Actually, she's done three of them. The third volume of Duck, Third Time is the Charm, uh, reached its Kickstarter goal just a couple weeks ago. And she reached out to me and said, hey, let's talk about diversity in comics. I'm like, all right, fine. She's a lesbian comic book creator. Uh, She also is going to be the lead artist on Silk. Uh, issues 2 and 3, coming up very soon from Marvel. Not the first issue, but the second two. And uh, we talk about those things. We talk about diversity in comics. Uh, We also talk about Star Trek and uh, have a really nice conversation. And it was a pleasure to meet her. She's been doing a lot of work with Sean Gordon Murphy and, in fact, uh, did Sean's um, apprenticeship uh, writing, or or I should say art program. And we talk in detail about that. It was very interesting. So really neat conversation with Tana Ford on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by The League of Word Balloon listeners Thank you very much for your support Via Patreon If you go to wordballoon.com You can click on the Patreon ad right there And uh, if you've got the extra money And feel like subscribing to Word Balloon That's terrific Word Balloon is free It'll always be free But if you want to help me out a little bit In uh, subscribing to Word Balloon You can either go to the front page of wordballoon.com There's also a tab that will lead you To my Patreon page at patreon.com And there are videos there explaining what I'm trying to do. So thank you for your support, and as I always say, the best way to support Word Balloon is just let a friend know that you like the show and you think they would like the show too. All right, with that said, let's uh, get to our conversation with Tana Ford. Uh, A very pleasant conversation, very funny, and in fact, uh, it starts off uh, as we were just saying hello on Skype, and she was telling me how she discovered Word Balloon, and it was from another Chicago comic book podcast, and that's how we start uh, the program. Here's Tana Ford on Word Balloon.
1: I've been listening to Word Balloon and to – you used to visit the Around Comics podcast way back
0: in oh, the that yeah. yeah.
1: That's how I found out about Word Balloon. And so I've been listening to you talk about comics for
0: years. Oh my God. No, thank you. That's really nice. And uh, that's cool that, yeah, you found me through around comics. Were you on there? Were you on their show?
1: Uh, No, I wasn't. I was only making comics in secret and, you know, finding an online nerd community. Uh, So, sure. So I, like, I I loved their podcast and you would come in and all of you guys. It's how I met or how I started to know the work of Scotty Young and. Sure. You know, before I had ever gone to a comic book convention, Chris did a whole thing about what you need to do to prepare to go to a comic book convention. Yes,
0: I remember that, sure.
1: (laughs) And I was like, okay, snacks, comfortable shoes, got it. Okay, what else can I expect? It was awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's terrific. That's really nice. I'm going to leave this in if it's okay. Because if the guys hear it, they they will love that. Um, (laughs) Every now and then. I don't see Chris as much as I used to, but I see Sal occasionally still. Yeah. And and, uh, every now and then, Cater's only running into him at conventions because he's just totally like, um, I know he's working at an ad agency and I know he's working, I think he's working on his comedy as well. So he's just, you know, kind of doing his thing. And that's really the only time I ever see him in any comics related stuff is at cons. I
1: think it changed for me when, I think Tom moved to Massachusetts, is that right? Oh,
0: yeah, that's right.
1: And I'm from Massachusetts and so I was like – I was super excited about it but he like hates all Boston sports teams. (laughs) And so it was super bittersweet because he would just like have scathing things to say about the Patriots or the Red Sox or whatever.
0: Um, Oh, man. But
1: yeah. So uh, anyway, I loved listening to you guys. It was really –
0: it was wonderful. That's funny. I'm going to stick on sports for a – or just Boston on a second for a second because – I worked with a couple guys that used to work at God. Now I can't think of the classic rock station they worked at. ZLX,
1: yeah. I bet.
0: Maybe I'm not sure, but regardless, the that Boston and this was your Phoenix.
1: Okay.
0: What was it? Say it again. The
1: Boston Phoenix. They is a that a radio, radio station? Or is they it, had a radio station and they were a um, like a magazine.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was a newspaper. Okay, because yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember Boston Phoenix as a print yep. entity. At least I thought so because. Yep. Um, Yeah, my years in sports radio and stuff. But no, I was going to say also, uh, I'm a huge Robert Parker fan. Nice, Spencer. Oh, I love Spencer. (laughs) And yeah, like literally, uh, Kurt Busiek and Rucka. Yeah. And yeah, like we all love. I mean, of course, Rucka. My God, he wrote his uh, thesis on Parker. Did he? I
1: didn't know that. Oh yeah. That's-
0: yeah, talk to him. Yeah, if you see if you see Greg at a show, you got to ask him about his uh, his uh, love for Parker. I will.
1: That's fantastic. So, yeah. And there was all this drama this year about Don Orsillo getting. It's just it, Boston sports are so dramatic all the time.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I honestly, I I think for, uh, Chicago can relate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So definitely, but no, it's really nice. It's nice to meet you and 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 thank you for coming on. Um. Thanks, and I yeah, I appreciate you you. You know, saying, "Hey, let's let's talk about diversity in comics," and I'm like, "I'm like, yeah, all right." (laughs) You know, yeah, all right. It's such a Uh, hot
1: button thing. Like, it's on. I don't know. I feel like it's it's at every show that you go to. There are always panels and discussions, and nobody really knows what's going on. You know.
0: Well, and that's why. I mean, you. I mean, obviously, by your work itself, you identify yourself as as a lesbian comic creator. Yeah, I do. And Ducky, was that your uh, uh, Kickstarter yeah, that you just? Duck,
1: I Duck, start me. in comics by doing a graphic novel about a pair of lesbian friends that go on a road trip, and like that's that was my introduction to the comic book world. And cool. yeah, it won a Queer Press grant in 2010. I went out to San Francisco. Uh, I sort of like. Well, I listened to that podcast about what to expect. I'd never really been to a comic book convention. I decided to (laughs) So
0: Chris educated you for your first show.
1: I went literally across the country. Like you could go to Boston Comic Con Tana. No. No. I'm gonna go to San
0: Francisco. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah.
1: So I was really nervous and I went out and I was just welcomed with open arms by all these really fantastic gay comic book creators, these, you know, big bears that make comics that they love and that they care about and it just it felt like home
0: that's excellent no that's terrific and I have to be honest I've I heard you on was it off panel was it that um, podcast yes okay with Sean with Sean Gordon yeah. Murphy
1: and I want to and I want to talk go ahead I'm sorry and David
0: David yes and, excuse me David and David's full name the host uh,
1: Harper David Harper I believe
0: David Harper yeah. very cool no it was an interesting conversation and um, I appreciate what you said about you know growing up and feeling alienated and you know i and forgive the presumption because obviously sexuality is different yeah and i can and i do appreciate that but obviously and i'm sure you would agree to a de- to a certain degree um, nerds obviously felt uh, that same kind of yes. alienation.
1: Yes, there's and, such
0: and a so, commonality
1: yeah. here. Yeah, we have more in common than there are more things the same about us than there are <laughs> that are different. You
0: know, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: so I just think it's such a fascinating time to be making comics and to be in comics and to be loving comics. You know, as a reader, as a fan, there's so much cool stuff for us to read. Absolutely. You know, and like and it's exciting stuff and it's going to new places. You think about comics as um this medium that's been around for 50, 60 years? longer.
0: Oh, not even Oh, no, a lot longer yeah. than that, pal. Absolutely. You know, you early 30s. Yeah. I mean, you know, come on. And you've
1: got this serialized
0: And that's just comic stuff. books. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Yep.
1: Yeah. And um and and this dense history of storytelling And, you know, and and now we have these vibrant, uh, exciting stories coming out that are really sort of pushing the envelope. And you see it all the way through all the, you know, I I have a foothold in queer comics and in gay comics, but you're seeing it in mainstream stuff, too. You're seeing people of color, you're seeing uh, queer people, people who are marginalized being represented. We have a lot of really cool stories being told right now. So,
0: Not a great uh, gay transgendered wedding, and forgive me, I don't follow Batgirl completely. Yeah. I know one of the characters is a transgender, yeah, yeah. and I don't know if her partner was as well or his partner. Yep,
1: yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't either. I so to there you go. I, I'm a trade waiter, so I that a girl, sure, maybe frowned upon in the industry, but like I love books, and so I want to be able to read complete stories. Uh, sure. so i 'm behind on a lot of contemporary comics for that reason, but when they come out, I snap them up
0: I respect that and and no i am with i 'm a trade waiter on a lot of uh, titles as well yeah. there's you're right it's an interesting time, and I think it's an exciting time because there are more challenging stories and more challenging characterization and more representation yeah. in general and i think i also I also think honestly, and I want to hear your opinion. You, would you say – well, let me ask you this. Yep. And, then, and honestly, this isn't meant to like as I got you, but I am interested in uh, getting, establishing a background. Sure. How are DC and Marvel doing, would you say, in terms of trying to be more diverse in character and as uh, you know, a place for more uh, diverse creators?
1: So there's um, – I have friends that know way more about this than I do and are actually like keeping score on – you know what? How mar? How well Marvel is doing? How well DC is doing? Um, and just know every single gay character and uh, bisexual character, everything. Uh, and I'm not that person, you know. Like okay. I, I, and so I don't know. I think that they're the effort is there. They have both houses have a long way to go, but they're making strides. You know, okay. they're telling stories, and I think, I don't know. I think the push is there. You know, you've got images. You, this smaller sort of it—it it can make changes much faster than the big two. But you see the big two adapting, um, right? You know, and tapping in. Marvel has this great podcast called the Women of Marvel podcast.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. and it's
1: fantastic, and they—they they talk to people that make costumes, they talk or um, and do cosplaying. Um, mm-hmm. They talk to artists. They talk to writers they have you know their marvel women in comics panel that always has like
0: 47 people up on stage at one time yeah yeah the, these days yeah. absolutely but yeah it,
1: and so it's really fascinating because you have all these different insider perspectives which i think are so valuable um but i think they're doing okay there's there's room for them to grow and of and course. you see that happening but but i'm really encouraged by the things that i'm seeing
0: I, and I am too, and I and I'm glad to hear that yeah. because I I think and would you agree? Yep. Because I see well, what, and, and here's my premise, and we'll see if you agree. Because mm-hmm. I honestly think, unlike image creators, mm-hmm. I think Marvel and DC even, and I'm not saying this as any sort of pass or excuse, yep. because uh, I, I, man, Kelly Sue DeConnick was on a couple of weeks ago. And as usual, here I am quoting her again. <laughs> Everybody's doing great, but nobody gets to sit down. Yes, because that yeah, the job's not done, and I love that. And that's yep. you know that's how she thinks. <laughs> that's why she's an awesome writer, yep. and and she kills me every time yep. in the best way when she comes on. Yeah, and I agree with all of that. I also think that DC and Marvel have a unique problem when it comes to the comics market, because as we've pointed out, retailers are the real customers. Yeah, retailers are really subject to local community standards and that sucks yeah because unfortunately we're in still a very underdeveloped world or country yeah in certain parts of the country and that really really sucks because you know there are there have been examples of art comics that have nudity in them yep just naked people no no sexual uh, acts going on and they've, you know, gotten a local store shut down, you know, because yeah. of community standards. And with that in mind, and it's unfortunate that we are, you know, just at the beginnings of really accepting, I think, any of the non-heterosexual lifestyles. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I really think that it's unfortunate that, you know, that's a big risk for a big company yeah. or I should say more so for a retailer. And it, then it does spill back to the company then because it's like – all right, well, then we know there are going to be these pockets of stores that absolutely aren't going to be able to I mean, maybe, And so know.
1: from a, a physical store standpoint, I see the dilemma. Um, I'm from Boston, and we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to really great comic book stores. And yep. in all of the different stores that I would frequent in the different areas of the city, you have mainstream titles and stuff that's sort of all ages friendly at – eye level and below, and then you have maybe stuff that has risque material or is, you know, are gay comics, queer comics, you know, marginalized stuff or even, you know, full nudity stuff uh, on higher shelves or in a back area or, you know, they're still there. They're still being sold. Um, But I don't know how that would do in Podunk, wherever. Uh, But then you also still – people have the internet. You can order – any of the material that you want online. Um, And so I wonder what effect online sales are having as far as getting material to the
0: readers. But I think, again, I think the big two, because of their size... They really have to yeah. kind of boil it down to a very mainstream, palatable. Yeah. This, I mean, good God, look what's happening in Captain America right now, yeah. and how, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a political agenda can it's skew just, it completely ridiculously. Doesn't
1: that blow your mind? Like,
0: no, it, sadly, it doesn't, uh, because I've been paying attention this year. Uh, I mean, this is yeah. this is kind of what's going on right now. I mean, we saw it with the Hugo Awards yeah. and with the Calgary uh, Comics Art Festival and everything. I yeah. mean, this is this is really, really yeah. sad.
1: Maybe I live in like a little happy pink bubble where like so much of my community are progressive, mostly lesbian and gay people. But like I have straight family. I have brothers that I love and, you know, friends and, you know, but I live in this very sort of welcoming and I don't know, I'm very lucky in that way. I'm very privileged in that way. I live in a pretty safe place uh, in my life. Um, and so maybe, maybe I just see things as a little bit in a, maybe there's a naivety to the way that I see things. I don't know. But I want to believe that it's better than it is. But yeah, you're right. That blowback about Captain America, the, the race relations in our country that we're seeing every single day, yeah. you know, it's remarkable to me. Um
0: no, it's, hey, it's embarrassing for me. I mean, I was yeah. born the year that the civil rights, you know, uh, uh, law was, was put into effect. The act was put into effect. 64. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and I remember as a four-year-old kid, uh, the 68 riots in Chicago. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I was protected. I my, my parents were, were for- protecting me. But you just saw it. You saw it happening. Right. And, yeah, it was really scary and confusing. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, you know what I mean?
1: The thing that I... um that I'm thinking about most often in, in regards to comics is whether or not, and this came up in the podcast that I did with David and Sean, I wonder to myself, if we are policing our allies more than maybe we ought to, like I want, so for me, I experienced a time of like intellectual growth and, um, In awareness building. I come from a very sort of conservative small town in Massachusetts. Um, It's very Irish and it's very white. And I go away to college, I go away, I go to Boston. Like (laughs) I go to an urban environment, you know, and I'm dealing for the first time in my life with issues of race and class and gender and I'm deconstructing things and I'm doing it in this very uh welcoming academic environment. And I'm not sure that a lot of comic book fans and which I think is a beautiful fandom. I think we have a really committed, uh diverse, you know, impassioned it's of, fandom. Yeah. It's one of yeah, the I best so. anywhere. You know? And I, I just I wonder if we're not being I would like for comics to be a safe space. You know, it's what I think about most often. How do we make comics and, like, learning about things safer for allies, for people that are kind of, you know, maybe they don't have the right language, but their hearts are in the right place. And I don't know if I'm being naive,
0: well, but I – but and I, and I absolutely agree with what you're saying and, and come from the same place. Yeah. But I know there are other people who are on the opposite end of the table that would use the same argument that they want comics to be a safe place. Yeah. Oh. And their definition of a safe place is to not have it be a political place, and to, to have, yeah. have it be a, a, a not a sexually que- – a, 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 a place where sexual questions come
1: yeah, up. Yeah, well, so you know what that makes me think of um... – book burnings the the comic book the ec comics book burnings right mm-hmm. like this was right. when we had the comics code authority this was right. this was people saying we know what's good for you we know what you are allowed to read what you should read right like this isn't a but it was about children
0: it, it, it was about children though that right. that was about children
1: and so is this do you think this is not about
0: children well, I think it's. Uh, I think that children are part of it. I think it's about everything. Yeah. And again, I'm. I am for the inclusive, and I have no problem with. Yeah. We should get more sexual, and or at least explain in a very proper, dignified way. Yeah. No, this. This is a different. I mean, that. I'm just pointing it out because I do think that. The comic book product yeah. was aimed at kids back in the 50s. Right. It was. Right. Adults did read, but it was aimed at a child's level of reading and it was considered a children's product.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So and now and now it's not. Right. I mean, or I should say, we know it's not. Right. And we're accepting of the fact that there can be different levels just like there are of any other media. Right. Why should a comic book be restricted in the ways that novels and television and film aren't?
1: Yeah, and going back to your earlier point. With Marvel and DC, they have yeah. these worlds that they've created that are friendly for kids. Like, this, is, right. these are supposed to be books that are safe places for kids. And, That's right. you know, even if the Comics Code Authority is antiquated and sort of passe now, there's still those tendrils existing in the way that the main two are putting out comic books, right? Like, sure. you had said something. This has stuck with me for years. It's so funny. There's no, I think maybe Tom said it, somebody on Around Comics said, There is no masturbation in the DCU.
0: Yeah, because he was quoting Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman was told that about, I want to say either Sandman or Swamp Thing or something. I think it was Sandman. And
1: they were like, "No, you can't have that. There's none of that in this universe." And I was, and that kind of blew my mind just listening to you guys. And I was like, (laughs) I never thought about that. Like there are there are people working in this industry for whom that is a rule. Like that is just a thing that you know is you don't go beyond this line. And I think maybe, so now things are shifting, right? Like we have so much influx of media. The movies are so successful. You know, you've got Adult Swim on TV, you know, like these very risque cartoons and everything seems to be blurring the line. How do Marvel and DC keep with the times? And also, you know...
0: Well, but not no, cross that line. Oh.
1: Still be heroic, simple to... yeah, but... for
0: kids and and adults. I don't know. Well, I'm not. I'm not watching Adventure Time and and uh, the real show. Yeah. Is it a real show. I don't know. All right, I forget the second one. But but Adult Swim is an adult product. Yep. And and it's and I and and again, I like adult animation. I like kids animation. The difference again is that, yeah, I mean, Disney owns Marvel. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sorry, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and on Warner Brothers' side, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Yeah. No, they're not going to, you're not going to see, you know, yeah. Daffy Duck's yeah. not going to masturbate. Well, it's not so, going to happen. So we
1: have, you know, so you've got the big house of Marvel and then you've got right. DC and then you have all these little offshoots. You know, you've got Vertigo and you've got all these imprints that are sort of the, they were described as like the HBO or the Showtime, you know, if if DC is cable You know, that's just like what you can watch at eight o'clock on, you know, the normal channels. Then if you get HBO, you can watch and that's your vertigo. That's your sex and drugs and violence and all that. But it exists, you know, it's connected, but it exists in this other universe. Right. Uh, And everything in the main universe is its own sort of bubble thing, its own pink bubble.
0: Right. They couldn't get Batman they couldn't get to do Batman Vertigo stories. Yeah. I mean that's like, you know, there were things like, you know, uh David McKean and, yep. and Graham Morrison doing Arkham Asylum and stuff. Yeah. Or even even Miller's Dark Knight. Yep. I should we should point out though, and, and it's fair to this is the question asked Marvel. Yeah. Because now now again it was D C that said there's no masturbation in the D C mm-hmm. universe. We know there is in Marvel because in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh Star Lord pretty much admits it. Oh, yeah. When he, says, when he says, thank God there's not a blue light in this spaceship, we'd yeah. all be in trouble.
1: Yeah. So, so they <laughs> razor's edge, aren't they? Like, they're walking well, that line. Yep. No,
0: so you're Now, your now that, that is the closest. Yeah. I would agree with well, that.
1: Well, uh, but Pixar and Disney do those sort of adult <laughs> jokes. Maybe not that sort, but, like, they always tuck in those jokes that are for the adult audience, you know? Um,
0: well, it's a, to what degree? Because Hal Warner yep. Brothers did that in the 40s with, you know, Bugs Bunny yep. as well. yep.
1: They sure did. And like kids are laughing, but you don't get the political undertones of the book right. funny and yeah.
0: Right. No, it's again, this is this is like you said, it's a fine line and they have to walk it. Yeah. And I do think that they are able to punch holes and kind of make steps forward. Yeah God, Maggie I mean, think about it, Maggie Sawyer. Do you know Maggie Sawyer in the Superman mythos? I do not know Maggie. Oh, now you see, because these are some of the mainstream characters yeah. that have been around for a long time. It's a John Byrne-created character. She ran the special unit uh, for a Metropolis Police. Yeah. And she was in the cartoon in the Superman Adventures and uh, also became Kate Kane's, or was just, you know, yeah. A- as they so redid. That's Conf- Maggie. Ca-
1: that's the Maggie.
0: That's Maggie. Oh, yeah.
1: then of course I know Maggie. I mean.
0: There you go. Okay, excellent. Well, there you go. I mean, now there's a character, that, like I said, who yeah. was around in the '80s. Uh, had Dan, and I forget Dan's last name. I want to say it was Turpin, uh, an older cop that kind of had a crush on her. Yeah. And didn't realize that Maggie was a lesbian. Yeah. And also, they had this very adult relationship where she did really care about yep, him. Yep, yep. And wasn't going to return his affection, but didn't mean yep. that she didn't have this really strong emotional connection to him. Oh, and, and vice versa. that
1: stuff and read it.
0: Oh, yeah. That's
1: fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And I- yeah
0: well, he, and again, I mean, it's a shame that, yes, I mean, and then we'll go through a, a few years where that storyline isn't touched. Right. The cool thing is, yeah, when, when Kathy came back, when, when they brought Batwoman back. Yep. You know, they they made Maggie part of her life, although I was disappointed, too, that, you know, they chose not to let her marry.
1: I know. I and I think that there's so much behind the scenes, political something going on there that I feel like readers as a reader, which is, you know, all that I am in that in that situation is like you don't get this full story. Like there is some sort of, I don't know, political machinery behind why that didn't happen it would have made it would have been perfect it was the right time it was a fascinating story it went with the times like the argument we were having as a country about whether or not to have you know equal marriage it was it was just a ripe creative ground uh swing and a miss dc swing and a miss
0: well but then again like I said, this is the problem. Yep. Do, you, do you as a corporate business mm-hmm. have the balls to piss off half of your potential audience
1: But do you piss them off or do you just have a conversation no one's
0: oh no please one's oh you come on Tada! To... really really no come on as we said there are these po- I mean honestly and I, and I want yeah. us to have a, a truly I, I I'm not I don't mean to shout you down <laughs> no, I'm please. not trying to Devil's no I, because don't I don't want you, you to disagree just as I've I want when when Kelly sue and I disagree or anybody that I talk to yeah. we don't have to be in agreement. but no I think there are absolutely entrenched communities that are like i don't want this good god uh uh, grant morrison superman mutters god damn and it's a national incident yeah well and there are stores that stand and unfortunately there are so few stores that yeah when when 10 of them stand up and say we're not carrying this we don't like it that hurts them in a corporate way and it sucks it's bullshit but it's a it is a reality that everyone's going to have to contend with and it's going to only be by inches no. that this stuff does change. Or as you pointed out on the off-panel thing, and I agree with you, because I have relatives in my family who are very much against exposing this kind of lifestyle. They're okay with people living their lives, but I don't just need it in, in yeah. front of me. Yeah. It's like, well, the good news is you're done. Yes,
1: you're your so, <laughs> You'll be turnover. Dead, so. The good news yeah. is your more tolerant children are going to replace right. you when you
0: die. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it goes for a lot of these podunk communities yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, God, I've got, I've got friends that write for major newspapers in various parts of the country where they're incredibly conservative and you know, they are still fighting whether it's the civil war or religious issues and stuff. And it's like, yeah, unfortunately uh, these people are old, but they're still in power. Yeah. But the good news is they're really old and they're not going to be in power much longer.
1: Yeah. This stuff, it just kind of blows my mind. And I think that there is, there must be some sort of willful naivety to the way that I interact with the world. Like I, you know, this stuff like um religious stuff, you know, religious freedom. We argue for religious freedom. Well, not for all religions, just for Catholicism or you know, and it's such a right. slippery Absolutely. slope. There's such a razor's edge. You're not going to be marching and fighting for the rights of a mosque in downtown Podunk, USA. That's yeah, religious that's right. freedom. But you only right. want it for one religion. Yeah. And it's really narrow, and I think that we, as a species, gain more when we widen our focus, when you broaden the lens, you know?
0: Of course. Oh. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's the thing. I, I I mean, all I can say is I agree with yes. you. And also, as you say, in terms of, uh, is, did you say legislating our, our allies? What did? How did you put it? Uh, policing.
1: policing.
0: Policing our allies. allies. No, well, this is kind of that hand-in-hand thing yeah. where, like, I was even like uh, on certain issues that have come up in the presidential campaign, yeah. like the Black Lives Matter. It's like, yeah. well, do you really need to like disrupt this person to make your point? Yeah. But the answer is yes, we do, and here's why. Yep. And it's like, yeah, you're right, you do. Yeah. So it is this kind of um, right. You don't, you know, you don't want to be a jerk to your friends, but by the same yeah. uh, token, you do have to kind of keep everybody like it's like Kelsey, Kelly Sue said. Everyone's trying and everyone's trying hard. Nobody gets to sit yeah, out. We're just so so that's why it's this it is this movement of inches and keep you know and making these companies wrestle with these questions. Yeah. But but again, the
1: other thing so you know with comics, right? Like if you want predominantly white, patriarchal, you know, stories heroes. about two dimensional heroism or you know, like stuff that is reminiscent of your boyhood or something you have decades of material to read. Like there's no shortage of that material. This, this stuff that is coming out now that is not that is such a thin sliver of the big picture of comics that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around these people who are pushing back against it. You know, no one is trying to take anything away from you. We're just trying to add other voices uh, to this exciting medium. And I don't understand, I, I really don't understand the pushback against it. Like, no one's taking no, anything from you. We're just well, adding fur- more stuff.
0: And further, you don't have to even force them to reread exactly. old stuff. There's plenty of that yes. stuff still represented. Yes. in current
1: comics are still, sure. by sure. and large, heterosexual, heteronormative, white. Like, these are the same stories that you had, you know, 10 and 20 and 30 years ago, um, sort of... Represented now So I just I don't understand it I don't get this like Only one way Everyone else get out And I think the majority Of the fandom Agrees with me I think, I that think the majority right. Of the fandom Is like No shit Yes Yeah
0: <laughs> Well and that's story. And that's why That's why the other side When they say We are being victimized It's like okay. no No not at all oh, go. There's plenty of product And there's plenty And you, your tastes Are being catered to yes. And I agree All Again, um, I, I do. Like I said, I think that's just the challenge, and it's going to take very small yeah. increments on DC and Marvel's side yeah. to truly change. Yeah. And people can demand now and be very vocal about it. And all they, all, all you know, the companies can do is slowly kind of you know try to push in these different directions you got Becky Cloonan writing Punisher now that's fantastic I'm so
1: excited for that book sure I will read anything that she puts her hand to but oh man I'm really excited to see that book
0: Well, yeah, and I was mad a couple years ago when she was going to write a Doom miniseries and they took it away at the last minute. Oh, I did. And and, and I don't, you know, no one really knew the details. And again, it could have been very simple corporate uh, things. But it just was like, oh, that sucks. And it's like, come on, Becky's paid her dues. Yeah, this is... I'm like, you know, Becky's Becky's ready to rock. Let's go.
1: Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I think that there's... I don't know, maybe because I'm from as far as my comic book career, I'm from such a small, supportive, loving community of comic fans that I'm not like I don't so I'm working on Silk right now. I'm working on some like I've only yeah, done tell some, us about Silk. I've only done some fill-in stuff um for Marvel and but I love it and it's really a lot of fun. I have an 8-year-old niece. Um she's actually a twin. She has a brother. And she's probably going to go as Batgirl for Halloween, you know. So like, it's really important that she has comic books like Batgirl that she can read, or Gotham Academy and stuff that like. Absolutely. You know, and so I get to be the cool auntie, and I get to draw these, (laughs) you know, fun heroes uh, that she can that she can read and enjoy. And so, but it's kind of a trip, you know. Like, there's just something I don't know so iconic about working in comics and doing it just it feels like an important thing
0: you know yes sure no and i well uh, for silk are you penciling or are you Uh, coloring i'm doing?
1: doing i'm doing pencils and inks on um two issues of silk that's great yeah and it's very very exciting and so i get to draw black cat and i get to draw silk um who gets to swing around the city and and draw a spider woman and you know she's walking along walls and sort of doing this, like, trying to balance her work life and her superhero life in a way that feels really authentic. And that's such a sort of touchy word, right? Because it's authenticity is a ghost. You can chase it, but you can never catch it. You know, like, the the great thing about superhero comic books is it's all make-believe. Nobody's climbing on walls, you know, not in real life. But they blend, Marvel and DC blend this, reality of struggling with something on the inside and having to be a real person on the outside so well. And I find that that's the most compelling and universal thing about these superhero stories. And audiences really connect with this stuff. And it's fun. And that's what comic books, I think, ought to be. And I think that's what they they so often are for the fans, you know?
0: Sure. Uh, No, I I agree. Who is writing so?
1: Robbie Thompson. He's doing a fantastic job. I'm filling in for Stacey Lee. Her artwork on the series has been superlative. She's just – she has this very kinetic style and I'm trying to – I tend – in my duck books, um, I tend to just draw women walking and talking and so I've had to really sort of push my artistic boundaries to get them walking and talking and climbing on walls and web swinging around a city and like doing these things creatively that I don't mm-hmm. normally do in comics. You know, everything is ground level. Everything, you know, is mostly in one room. And, and so it's been a real uh, sort of adventure trying to make this world uh, happen But Robbie Thompson is doing really great stuff. He's talking about mental health stuff. We've got Silk, uh, Cindy Moon is seeing a therapist. She's struggling with some sort of um, like some depression here and there and trying to balance that with her life as an intern and as, you know, just a young person in the world. And I find that really... I don't know. It resonates with me, you know. Is
0: her is her power kind of connected to her depression in the way that like some manic depressive depressives will run really hot yes. and be very excited and happy to see you and just filled with emotion yes. and then go to that like blue period? That's cool. The, that's great. Yeah,
1: I um. Uh, that's smart. the The issue of mine that's that was on the shelves. I did the final issue before Secret Wars, and okay. she can't like she had burned her hands. But I think part of her, um, what's going on with her mentally and her struggles were making it really hard for her to make webs. You know, like she couldn't perform. And so, you know, they're thinner. They're not going to hold the bus up. Things are going to come crashing down on you. Uh, And that sort of idea that we get to play with in this, I don't know, testosterone out, this super major mega uh, area, this world of silk like is amazing.
0: Yeah, like, I agree with you.
1: Your life is falling apart, but you have all these responsibilities. And I don't know, and and you can't perform the thing that you're good at doing. You can't do it. Uh and I think that that really, I don't know, it's such an exciting thing to be doing.
0: Well, how did they find out about you to uh, come in and uh and substitute?
1: I had done a um I had done an issue of new warriors
0: Okay. last summer and who wrote that
1: uh who did write that oh god you're gonna ask me chris yost chris yost. oh sure yeah oh fantastic yeah and he was he was great and so i got yeah, kylan
0: yost and man they know their x-men absolutely yep, go on
1: yep and uh he had a baby in the middle of the script so like i had most of a script and then he was gonna do a rewrite so i'm drawing and i'm doing everything and I was like, oh, can you clarify, like, what happens in panel five on whatever page? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll get to you on Monday. My wife just had a baby. Oh, man. <laughs> so, like, he had a kid in the, the, in the middle of the script, which is fantastic. I thought that was so great. So I'm always going to, like, if I ever meet his kid at a show, I'll be like, oh, you were
0: born when we were working together. <laughs> So, well, how'd they find you for New Warriors? Like, how'd you break into Marvel?
1: Oh, um, through the Sean Murphy Apprenticeship Program, actually.
0: Oh, that's it. Yeah, talk about that, because I heard you talk about it on off-panel. So, uh, yeah. Transformative.
1: It It was such a fantastic experience. So, everybody knows probably the work of Sean Murphy, and he opened up um, an apprenticeship program, not this past winter, but the one before, and... Five really established artists, myself being one of them, were accepted to this program. And we just lived in a house in Maine for two weeks and worked together in this studio environment that was amazing. So it wasn't just that we were learning from Sean, which we were doing. He would do a sort of portion of the day would be um, like classroom work on perspective. This is how I draw cars. So amazing. This is, you know whatever that day's lesson was, this is the business of comics. But we would also be able to interact with one another and, um, like go over to each other's tables and I don't know, see how each of us sort of problem solved on the page. Uh And there's some of my fondest memories in comics. It was such a, like, I don't know, a moment out of time, you know,
0: Had you ever had any kind of like cartooning class kind of atmosphere like that? So
1: when I went to college, I did art and philosophy. So I had some studio training and color theory and live model drawing and all of this stuff that I knew about comics. I knew because I had, I would draw during my day job. I worked in a mechanics garage, uh, um, for years and that's where I listened to around comics and that's how I listened to word balloon. And it was great because I could talk to customers about their cars and I could be drawing my duck comic book, you know, lesbians like walking around and doing whatever. And (laughs) yeah, so that's how I got my start. And so I'd never worked alongside other artists at any point. I don't think any of us in the program had. George uh, from Portugal might have. He might have. Um, I don't know if he has a studio situation, but... Aside from him, I don't think any of us had. And okay. so it was just this fantastic experience. And and out of that experience comes the amazing book, Cafe Racer, which you should pick up, reader,
0: tell, listener. Yeah, tell, well, tell us about Cafe yeah. Racer. yes. Cafe Racer this was is... The product of your school? Or? Yeah,
1: it was the product of the school. So this two-week effort, uh, Sean did 10 of the pages, the finale of the book. The rest of us did five pages in two weeks. And so we went from... Thumbnails. You know, we got a script that he and his wife Colleen had written. A okay. Beautiful script, really great.
0: What's um, the story? It, Tell people so, about the story.
1: Okay, so the story <laughs> is about um, a cafe racer is a type of motorcycle, a small, light, uh, maneuverable motorcycle, popular in London just after uh, the World War, and so. Okay. And so, in the fifties and sixties, there was this like biker
0: culture. Absolutely, Quadrophenia, the Who movie, Quadrophenia kind of talks about that. Also the Dave Gibbons uh, comic, uh, the originals. Exactly. And
1: and there's a style to this bike, um, and and people would make it sort of in their backyards out of spare parts, some bicycle parts, I think, early on. Um, Sure. And anyway, and so you would race from one cafe to another, and back, or you'd race from the cafe to a certain point and back. And there were a lot of auto fatalities because these kids whose entire political lives, like their lives were just everything was bombed, everything was shit, life has no meaning. And they were just getting out of, getting the heck out of their houses <laughs> and away from their parents and like hanging out with their leather jackets and being tough guys. Right. And, you know, and so like this. This idea of life being not meaningless but like temporary, this existential angst was in this entire generation of Londoners. Absolutely. So that's the story. So the story is about a girl who is half Japanese uh, and half British uh, being the best racer. You know, it opens a race between her and this big like meathead. And uh, yeah, so she races, you know, you race to the cafe, you get a book of matches that have the, you know, cafe's logo on it or whatever to prove that you were there and you race back. First one back wins. And so, of course, she's the first one back. And it's so funny. We had so many amazing conversations in the studio. Um, But so so the five of us are working on our own separate sections of the script. Sean and Colleen had cut it up into different parts. And we knew that Sean was going to do the end of it. Um, But like George got the opening and I got a scene that happens in a mechanics garage. And uh, Corinne did one that's sort of like the main character and the understudy go on a date. Uh, Clay did one that's very, um, I don't know, very, I want to say acrobatic. Like there's a lot of motorcycle jump down the stairs, motorcycle like skids around the corner, that kind of thing. Okay. And so it sort of played to all of our strengths. Um, and we, and at the end, we had this book. We have this amazing, like, cohesive story.
0: Excellent.
1: And so once that book came out, uh, it, was, it came out in time for New York City Comic Con. Not this year. Last year? Maybe okay. the year before? I don't remember the timeline. Um, but I had a wedding or something, so I wasn't going to be at New York City Comic Con. So I called the publishers or we made meetings with the publishers at DC and Marvel to just hand out this book and be like, oh, look, here are some really talented artists that need a shot. And we went to each place and handed out some books, talked to people, shook some hands, like had some interesting conversations in the hallway. Uh, and, and so that's how I got my start, you know.
0: So. That's really cool. That And uh, so is Cafe Racer. How do, how do people buy it? Is it on Comixology? Is it... Uh, you can go, go published to it?
1: Essential Sequential, which is okay. Jason, Jason Schechter. Uh, and he has the books for sale. And then you can also order them through me. Uh, you could email me um, and I can send you one. Or you can find us at a show. All of us have them. Uh, but yeah, I think Jason is probably your best shot. and he
0: Essential is, Sequential.
1: Yeah, Essential Sequential. His logo is like a little purple diamond. Uh, but it was a fantastic story, and it was really well written. One of the things early on, so we're sitting, imagine uh, it's a saltbox New England house, three stories, and the top floor is, you know, it, it has a peaked roof, you know, so it's like an A-frame, and uh-huh. we've got uh, five or six desks around all the edges, and there was a couple of dogs in there, and we're sitting <laughs> in a circle, and we're talking about the script, And we're going over, you know, how we're going to break down the script and how things are, you know, what we're thinking as far as, like, pacing the story. We need to get our character sketches right. We need to make sure, you know, uh, there was the same character that appeared in my story was going to appear in Clay's story and so on. And so we're just sort of chatting it out. And I was like, well, Sean, I don't get this one thing. You know, on page three, it says... That the girlfriend, you know, I thought it was a really progressive story because I thought that the main character was a lesbian. And I thought that she takes off in you know, peels away from her girlfriend in the opening scene and races, you know, through the city, grabs the matchbook, comes back and is like, see, I told you I would win. And then the script says she flicks the matchbook in the girlfriend's face. And I was like, "Whoa, guys, I think that's a little aggressive. And Sean is like looking at me sideways, and he's like, "Well, yeah, but it's supposed to be aggressive and I'm like, "Yeah, but then, in the next sentence, she starts flirting with this dorky little goofy guy named Scooter. What's up with that? Like, why would she disrespect her girlfriend And then he's like, "Tana, it's the bad guy's girlfriend, not her girlfriend." and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like here. I'm thinking she's such an angry lesbian, but the only angry lesbian here is the one reading the script. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
0: that's that's it. Wait, it's too. I was hoping you were going to tell me that you know all of a sudden she was like. Oh, yeah, you know she could be a lesbian. All right, let's do that. Yeah. That's even better yeah,
1: afterwards, they were like, "Oh, maybe we should have made her a lesbian. No, it doesn't really fit the story, but oh man, and I was like, yeah, this is and so this is the way that we bring ourselves to the stories that we make. You always see things through your own lens, you know,
0: sure, absolutely. no, I can appreciate that very cool that's that's fantastic, yeah, that's really great. So you guys all. Uh, as well, just like thumbnailed it, like mm-hmm. you discussed how to thumbnail it out. Oh yeah, not just your parts, but you guys like as a group really kind yep. of mapped out the story. That's terrific. Yeah,
1: it was it was such an enriching experience. And it, you know, like now I work, I've gotten some work um, with Marvel, with DC. I've done a little work with Vertigo. Um, I just had a successful Kickstarter for the third installment of Duck. So I'm yes. working.
0: Congratulations! Thank you. I'm yes, really I'm sorry excited. I couldn't I'm sorry I couldn't help you with that. Oh
1: no worries. No worries, man. Uh you you guys can still pick it up when it comes out next June.
0: Okay, terrific. Very I was gonna ask. That's that's great. Yeah. So that's your third volume on
1: Yes, it's my third volume, and both of the other ones have even if they haven't won awards, so the first one won the Queer Press grant in 2010, and the second one, which came out last year, uh was a finalist in the first ever graphic novel category of the Lambda Literary Awards, which is a gay and lesbian like umbrella of queer um, awards that have been going on for 26 years Uh, and they've awarded some uh, graphic novels in the past, like Alison Bechdel's graphic novels have won some things. She was a presenter, Um, but there is never a category for it. And my book was one of the four finalists and it was up against the fifth Beatle. Like I made that in a garage.
0: <laughs> wow!
1: Yeah, and so it was this super like validating experience. I didn't Absolutely. Think, um,
0: yeah, Vivek uh, got some uh, high-powered art uh, on uh, on the fifth feet. Alex he Robinson and, and Kyle Baker and everything. He so that's fantastic. It. That is very yeah. nice.
1: And the woman that won, uh, wonderful woman Nicole Georges, won for her graphic memoir. It's called. Calling Doctor Laura, or I, I think that's the title, but it might be like phoning Doctor Laura or something. Um, watercolory, very ethereal, beautiful book. Uh, but I'm out. I'm in there like punching way above my weight class, you know. Like I'm looking at these two powerhouses. Hope Mifflin put that book out. You know, I made this book yeah. in a garage by yeah. myself. <laughs> so. Yeah. So the third book is now going to be coming out this next year. It's what I'm working on now. So very exciting stuff.
0: So how is the Kickstarter experience? Was this your first Kickstarter? It was.
1: Or? It was. I've supported okay. uh, half a dozen Kickstarters whenever my friends have them or there are projects that I love, obviously. Um, but this was my first experience doing it. And it was, I mean, it was a learning experience. I'm sure. I've never done it's it's like a full second job, you know. Absolutely. There's so much to do and and so it was really sort of exhausting. It was 30 days of being on all the time. But it but it worked and I'll be able to make a book and I'll be able to make my book in full color and it's going to be as gorgeous and amazing as I can make it be and that's really exciting.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. That's congratulations. Thanks so and much. uh and absolutely. So, who was your Kickstarter godfather or, god, or godmother in terms of uh, helping you? Uh, <laughs> amen, uh, you know? <laughs> I, I don't A know. Woman.
1: I don't know who was my godfather. What do you mean?
0: Well, like, in terms of did, did you go to any creators for advice, you know, oh. man or woman, in terms of like how to do this, right? Yep.
1: I, uh, so, I had talked to, I think, literally everybody that I knew that had ever Kickstarted anything. Um, I went, like, Scotty Young helped me out. He did.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah, he did a daily sketch, um, one of his sketches of all my characters that's going to be included as a print in the final package. Uh, Sean Murphy did the cover for the book, and it looks gorgeous. Um, I've, I'm addressing things in it, like bisexuality. I made my main character uh, biphobic because I think it's going to be really important to talk about what why that's important, like why, I don't know, I think it's such a nuanced subject. And so the best way to address the things that I was seeing in my own lesbian community and the sort of like hateful speech that I was listening to, I think is to address it directly. And so my main character is biphobic and she's going to have to face these things in this upcoming uh, version of the book and, and I think it's also going to be a lot of fun and so I just reached out to everybody I don't know that there's one godfather or godmother
0: um, okay well but yeah but I'm just saying in terms of like executing a Kickstarter yeah, campaign
1: yeah I looked at literally everything I could absolute strangers okay. Oh, okay. successful comic book Kickstarters in the past what other people had done what I should do and yeah and just kind of okay. cobbled it together the best that I could and and tried to send it out into the world so, yeah.
0: That's cool. And when you say they're biphobic, in other words, yep. uh, they're they're fearful of bisexuals? Yep. Is that? Uh, so okay.
1: for Duck, who is my main character, that's my main character's name. You have to remember that I invented these characters when I was much younger. So like Duck seemed like a really appropriate name for a
0: person. I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shame on me. I, I was thinking pretty and pink when I said Duck. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, Thank
0: God. John <laughs> Cryer. So,
1: yeah. So, in the second version, um, in the Lambda nominated uh, finalist version of the book, Duck okay. has a girlfriend that, or an ex girlfriend that brings her now boyfriend or dude that she's sleeping with to a lesbian club. Okay. And it feels to Duck like an invasion of safe space. Like, of all the places to go, you would bring that guy here. Sure. That kind of, and so all of her friends. It's the conversation that she has with all of her friends, just sort of staring at what's happening on the dance floor, uh, and feeling really affronted about that. Um, and I think it's going to be really important to have Duck check her biases. Um, I think in my how to address it in a in a brief way. I think that. Um, ex- having a conversation about the nuances and the validity of being a bisexual person, how it isn't the a bisexual person's responsibility to choose one side or another, that it isn't about a binary, that it's actually okay to like men and women and for different reasons. Uh, I think exploring that is going to be a really edifying and exciting thing. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm aiming – that's one of the things that I'm aiming to do with Duck Third Time is the Charm.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. That's excellent. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: So – No, hey, you know, and again, this is great because as you, and I think in a very fair way, are saying, hey, DC and Marvel, up your game. Yeah. And I, but, but, by, but also I recognize the progress that you've made so far. Yeah. Yeah. But but the great thing is you're making the book that you want to read, yes. or at least the the issues that you want to express, and that's terrific. Yes. And I think much as the right wing that it, it would like things to stay white bread and everything, yeah. by all means, make your books. Yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Go ahead. And and the great thing is while you you know again you we nudge along the big companies to do these yeah. things. You guys have the power you all as creators have the power to do the books that you want and you're making them happen. Yes. And that's wonderful. Cause that's exactly what I said to, to Kelly Sue. And I, and I, and I truly mean that yeah. with everybody. It's I, again, this is why I feel a kinship to all of you. And I've said this a million times about my podcast. Yeah. I am making the, the kind of audio program that I would like to hear that radio has told me, well, we can't do it. And here's a laundry list. Why? And it's like, all right, Whatever. It, it, the good news is I can do this on my own yes. and be very satisfied, and it's great. And, I, and you know, and I and I, so I I'm sure it is incredibly exciting and also very rewarding when you are able to you know get it done and get it out there and and hand it to somebody that wants to buy it. Yes,
1: yes. And at conventions, especially, I'm always floored by the it, there's just, our fandom is so wonderful. They're so committed, and they're they're just, by and large, such wonderful people. And the young kids especially that come to my table, the young adult kids, not like young kids, but like young adult kids, high schoolers just after, who are maybe experiencing their own, I don't know, sexual awakenings. And,
0: Absolutely. You know, yeah. they're coming to That's church. the time. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And
1: Comic-Con's as, you know, just a broad environment, provide these nerdy outsider kids a place to feel like they belong. And then when they see my table, which I usually have a tongue in cheek sign, I don't know if I'm gonna have to retire it, uh, since sort of I'm getting more attention from the mainstream. But it says like, something along the lines of caution, this table contains lesbians or something.
0: Uh, and I usually- <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you because I don't want to be an <laughs> asshole, but it's like you do want you want to let people know exactly. what you do, yeah. but you also don't want to be like, yeah, exactly, yes. lesbian served here. One
1: year, uh, my friend Katie had, uh, we had a bowl of mints. Like, I think it's a nice thing to give out like, uh, you know, sure. lifesaver, you know, those little mints. Uh, and so I usually have a bowl of them on my table. So anybody listening to this, come on by. If you ever need a breath mint, I usually have them on my table. <laughs> that's but well, that's have, always in need. They have a those, uh... sign. Like I'll tape a sign to the bowl that says, caution, uh, these mints will turn you into a lesbian or something like that. <laughs> You know, and most often it's straight dudes that come along, like, you know, pushing their baby strollers and then they like crack up at the sign and they're like, I already like ladies. And then they eat the mint, you know, <laughs> and like it's just so funny. And every once in a while, a kid that's of the age, I don't know, six, seven, whenever they first start to read and like their eye level with my table, they can read it. You know, and they're like, dad, dad, check this out. Or mom, mom, look at that sign. Like, is it okay for me to be near this table? (laughs) You know, and so I, and I have some like um, family, not family friendly stuff. I have a travelogue that I made about a trip I took to Greece. I have a history of the Boston Marathon comic book that I made. Uh, And so those are always on my table as well. And then I have like my lesbian stuff where I'm like, this is 18 plus. It's not super graphic, but it's adult material uh, it's not for kids. And so uh, I usually have really awesome conversations with parents. And and then those high school kids who are straddling that line or trying to figure out their identities always come to my table. And we have some of the most amazing conversations. That's great, uh, Yeah. Man. And so I think we're really, I don't know, fortunate to have such a committed, awesome fan base, you know?
0: No, oh, absolutely. That's wonderful. So the travel log, is that like a comic yeah. form travelog?
1: Yeah, it's called uh I don't I'm not very good at titles, but I called it that time I turned thirty in Greece. So I guess <laughs> what it's about? <laughs> but it's fifty That's cool. something pages in black and white. And um yeah, and it's uh let me see, it's available through Northwest Press if you guys are interested in buying my comics digitally a lot of them are limited uh in real life like i don't have print limited comics products. available but you can buy okay. all my stuff digitally through northwestpress.com
0: oh that's wonderful absolutely no i uh, wanted to ask yeah. you so if uh, you guys
1: you know want to read duck which please excuse the naive art style i was very young when i made it uh, or duck 2 which is you know the lambda literary one about her being biphobic. um I don't know. Then you can go check everything out on Northwest Press.
0: That's excellent. And then you, you know, you mentioned your vertigo work too. You yeah. did, I know you did something in strange sports yep. stories. I
1: right? did strange sports stories. I think it was in volume number one. Um, I think, and it was with Amy Chu and we cool. did a, like a killer dodgeball thing. <laughs> uh, and it was a lot of fun to make. <laughs> it was really a lot of fun to make.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Do you, uh, no, I mean honestly, are you, like, are you finding it difficult? I mean, did sh- so? Did Sean make the connection for you at Marvel? How did you get into Vertigo? Same way, yeah, obviously. So was it I
1: had. um, How did we do it? I I emailed over. I I don't remember what order things happened. New Warriors was my first. New Warriors number nine was my okay. very first. Like,
0: DC or Marvel? Yeah, Marvel comic film. book ever. And
1: the editor at the time on that was Sana Amanat, who is amazing and has been promoted as she should be, you know, and so it's not really like, I don't, I don't know what she's doing now, but she's not like the editor of that book anymore. Uh, And, but at the time she was, and so I emailed her and I said, I'm going to miss New York City Comic Con, but I'll be there like the two days after it wraps. So if it wraps on Sunday, I'll be there on a Tuesday. Would you like to get lunch? You know, like, I would love for us to meet face-to-face. And she said, yeah, and invited the entire, like, Marvel office. And so Sean and I show up at Marvel, and a bunch of us just go out for Thai food in the middle of the day. Everyone's still super hungover and, like, sort of trying to get back into the work groove after New York City (laughs) Comic-Con. Oh,
0: yeah. And we just
1: talk for two hours or an hour or whatever over lunch. And that was sort of... I don't know how I got in at Marvel. Uh, not that I'm really in at Marvel. You know what I mean?
0: Well, what is your like? Yes, yeah, so you're you're filling in on Silk. What is your um like? You know, I don't know. Are you pitching? Are they? They're aware of you, or are they? Do they come to you and say either for fill in work or hey, we might have something for you in a few months? Yep.
1: Um, I'm hoping for the we might have something for you in a few months. That would be excellent. Uh, but right now, it's just. I'm filling in for Silk, and then I have to do Duck. So those are my okay. two major things. Sure. Um, but if Marvel was like, oh, hey, we have this thing that we would love to have you on in June when your book is done, that would be awesome.
0: Well, and you know, Silk, obviously, like you said, we, your most recent issue was the one before Secret yes, Wars?
1: Yes, it was the number seven Uh, Which I think was the the end. It was, yeah, because at the end, I I draw two worlds almost smashing together. So I'm pretty sure that's the end. And it fades to white. So yeah, and then I think this new arc, I'm doing issues two and three on the new arc, um, picks up right where that left off.
0: Okay. So. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. and they do and and so not only have you come in to fill in on an issue, yeah. but also they've got you filling in for two uh, successive yes. issues. Yes, yes, that's great. It
1: doubles my Marvel work. Look at that. Look at me go.
0: Well, that's true, but also because this is um, I, I, and 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 the same goes with your your work in uh, in your strange sports stories. I think that the companies are trying very hard to yeah. be more inclusive. Yeah. I also think that the real challenge is. Yes, can someone make a ten-page story or even fill in on an issue? Yeah. The real question is, how well do they do when they've got to, you know, hit deadlines, you know, in successive months? Yeah. And that's great, and I'm glad you're getting the opportunity to show that you can. Yeah. And you know, because that's the real challenge. And I've just heard this horror story from women and uh, men artists who, you know, three weeks into a book, it's yes, yeah, sorry, the script changed. You're gonna to have to redo those ten pages.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and
0: you know, it's that kind of stupid shit that yeah. happens all the time. That's the challenge of the of the job. Yeah. And while I can appreciate the frustration and then I cause really I want to hear your thought, but I, I really feel like sometimes a lot of fans and even bloggers and podcasters will be like, These people deserve a chance. And it's like, yes, of course they do. Yeah. But the trick of the job is not just to be able to do it for twenty pages, but to do it on a real run and do it on time. Yeah. And yes you know the John Cassidays and the I don't know I'm going to say Jill Thompson although I don't know Jill to be an artist that's late yeah but I mean you know I'll just throw a, no, a yeah. woman in there to balance things out <laughs> that they might have the cachet because of their experience that they can miss a deadline yeah um, but when you're breaking in no nobody has that luxury yeah. and I don't think that women or other you know people of other of other genders or se- or, or or sexual orientations are judged any differently. Right? Than the white guys that are faced with this same problem.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tina Fey in her book said, you're not in competition with the other women. She was talking in a chapter about, you know, women, how we should treat other women.
0: Is this in bossy pants? Uh, Yes, it is. Please go on.
1: (laughs) And she says, uh, we are not in competition with one another. Listen to me. When you're on SNL, you are in competition with literally every other comedian on that stage and i was sure. like whoa like i thought she was going to go with this whole like kumbaya thing and instead she was <laughs> like you're not in competition with the other women you're in competition with everyone your stuff needs to be the funniest you need to yep. be the hardest working you need to show that you've got the chops to do the job and i keep saying that all i need is a shot you know like i just need sure. i just need you to put me in coach and i will show you what i can do Uh, Sean and I talk about this a lot. One of the things that he said when we were in the apprenticeship was, and he sort of said it offhand, he's inking at his table. And he was like, there's no one more reliable in my career than me. And it was just an eye opening sentiment. And I was like, yes, exactly. There's no one that is going to be more dependable Than I am when it comes to what I like. I know that this is what I want to do with my life. And so I'm accountable. I'm on time. I'm hardworking. I do the job. You know, you may not like my art style. I'm not for everybody. Scotty Young isn't for everybody. Sean Murphy isn't for everybody. Sure. But like, I'm going to produce because this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? And so I think if you get enough people and I think that there are people like me. I think that there are hardworking, committed people that care deeply about this medium that just need to take their shot. And I think the exciting thing is that Marvel and DC are giving people that shot. You know. And I think they bring more security with them than you know, IDW, Image, Oni Press, Top Shelf, than the smaller places might be
0: able to. Do you know what I mean? In terms of what, when you say security?
1: Like Marvel pays royalties and you get a decent, like a living wage as a pay, as a page rate. You know, um, there are other publishing houses where every artist I talk to is struggling. Like they're, they have a full-time job on an award-winning book or maybe not an award-winning book, but like a popular book and they're just scraping, you know, like they are hustling to try to make ends meet. Right, And I think the thing that Marvel and DC can do, you have your stable, you have your Batman and your X-Men, you can take chances on other things. You can see what pans out, what fans are looking for, what creators are going to bring to the table for you, you know, in a way that maybe other smaller houses don't have that flexibility. Like they need stuff that's actually going to sell because they don't have, I don't know, the machinery to cover uh, if it doesn't
0: right you know right no exactly yeah you know we we've all heard that dc took this 2 million dollar hit this year because yeah. of the move to burbank yep i i guarantee you that every other company but marvel could handle could not handle yep. that kind of loss yep. they would be out of business
1: yep
0: and and that's that's absolutely true i and i appreciate the frustration uh, um on in terms of those those other publishers and not being able to get livable wage yep. and and but I also don't know what the answer is. yeah and I'm glad it's not my problem. Yeah. I'm relieved that it's not my problem but that's kind of a reality if again that it does not matter your color yep. or orientation or gender yep. that everybody faces. So I'm glad that's great and yep. it, obviously you get that yep. but I mean again, I'm, I'm really saying this more for that angry uh, outspoken reader or, or uh, blogger or podcaster. Who is very, you know, and again, damn, man, like they they literally were on one podcast, you know, uh, like doing a quota count. Really? And I understand, I can appreciate that from a de- for a degree, but also it's like, um, you know, I noticed that you didn't mention books that, uh, like they're like, well, you know, there's only so many all new, all different Marvel books, and only three women are writing them, and it's like, yeah, I noticed uh, a force wasn't on that list, How and I that's an all women uh, list. Huh?
1: How is A-Force not on that list? Be-
0: I guess because it's not a brand new book. No. But it's like, well, but yeah, but it is being published. Or, exa- or they're like, you know, Secret Wars, and what's leading up to Secret Wars? There's only so many women working. Well, you clearly were uh, another woman yeah. that was working right up to Secret oh, Wars. Oh, I sure was. And I know that, like, uh, and again, they didn't even go through the people that, yes, they were limited series. But I'm sorry, that's a function of this event. See, this and is- while that event's going on, this is a tra- a testing ground for writers and artists or people that literally this is the most work they can fit in. Yeah. I can only do three issues for you because I'm busy doing my thing. And these are the kind of like variables that don't get counted when. Angry people on the left are like, not enough. You're not doing enough, and you goddamn better start doing more. And it's like, yeah, but again, this is like bad politics. You've got a skewed list here.
1: Yeah, and you you have to be able to strike a balance. You have to – do you think that there is a communication mechanism between publishing houses and the fandom? Do you think that there is like a conduit or many conduits between them where they're communicating or is – are they just sort of operating in different spheres that occasionally bump up against each other?
0: Are you saying in terms of uh, like that the public doesn't have access to this information or no, that there isn't? Are no, there... sort
1: of Marvel or DC are making these decisions uh, in their Marvel and DC bubble and then um, you've got vocal – let's call them vocal minorities but I uh-huh. hesitate to use that word but like little bubbles of different people, like, oh, we want to see more female creators. We want to see more strong female protagonists. We want to see more gay characters. We want to see more people of color. And then Marvel's off in its bubble. Or do you think that there are actual channels of communication between the two things? Like, I really don't, I I really don't know.
0: Well, I think think the opportunity is there at conventions for them to ask those questions. I also do think that, uh, it is usually a corporation's best uh, thing to not answer directly, yeah. because I think sometimes it implies, uh, you know, some sort of fault. Uh, you know, that they bear fault in some way. The the hip hop uh, variant cover, yeah, co- you know, controversy yep. in a small letter. Yep. I, I'm like, uh, you know, I I personally felt like Axel Alonso was being singled out in a very unfair way, yeah. and I'm like, this isn't the Axel Alonso that I've seen in action, and also like I've heard. From artists of color that have told me, oh, no, Alex Axel is like constantly yeah. looking for people, you know, diverse talent, but also ultimately Marvel and DC do have the right to say, you know, you're a lovely artist, but you don't fit our scheme. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I mean, and for, for better or for worse, it may be that they're making the wrong Judgment and, and you know, still think a certain art style flies. I know that that's not the case, said Marvel. I think Marvel's been very experimental in terms of being open to non traditional artistic styles. Yeah, I agree, completely. especially in the last couple of years. I agree
1: completely. Yeah.
0: So, and I, yeah, and, and in and the Ms. case, Marvel
1: is one of their highest selling titles, right? I, I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, which But it's Ms. Marvel. I think it's right. super popular and I think it's selling gangbusters. Oh, yeah. And it's a oh, no, that's like traditional the- art style.
0: You're right, and, you know, uh, you're 100% right. And again, you know, it took, uh, I think obviously it took, you know, like a, a Captain Marvel to kind of open the door yeah. for a Ms. Marvel to exceed yep. what uh, what the Captain Marvel book did. Yep. And again, because of that, now we've got A-Force, yeah. and now we've got Becky writing the Punisher, yep. and we've got, you know,
1: that's terrific. I think such that's an exciting time. Oh, God, it's such an exciting time to be just a comics fan. You
0: know? But literally, like it's li- with every decision, yep. there is that vocal, yep. like you said, policing, policing well, our uh, allies, so was, and we're not enough. Yeah, you was know, on a,
1: I, I think I said this, and I I know I said this because it was like such a I don't know such an amazing moment in my life. We were on the Boston Comic um, Queer Comics panel two years ago, okay. and Joey Stern, this outspoken, fantastic uh, man, says that he in Star Trek, there are no gay characters, right? Like it's supposed to be the future and you have the future and mankind is peaceful more or less. And like, and all he wanted to see was one gay guy, even in the background, you don't have to make it Riker. You don't have to make it one of the main characters. It can just be like some dude in 10 forward, being even over the top, even flamboyantly gay, and saying like, "Oh, girl, it's time for some margaritas!" Like, even just <laughs> give me that guy. You know that representation is so important because it, because what you're showing me is a future where I don't exist, where nobody like me exists, even a caricature, and that had such this a resonant uh, effect on me. You know that I think about it a lot. And and so I don't know. So is
0: there? Well, I understand. I actually had a. I heard you say that on, yeah. on off panel, and I wanted to ask what you thought <laughs> of because they did have the one story, yeah. which I think is such a great. The, and again, just like Western science fiction, I mean, we go back to yeah. the Twilight Zone when when you couldn't talk about race yeah. in 1950s and early 1960s television. Yeah. Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone writers yeah. found a way to cloud it in in, in science fiction. Yeah. And make you understand. Don't you think that there's that one Star Trek Next Generation episode where there's the, uh, like, one sex planet? Yes,
1: the gender binary planet or, like, the gender neutral planet. Yes, the gender neutral
0: planet. It's Riker
1: that goes to the planet and falls in love with this woman, but not really a woman because she's genderqueer.
0: Right, Right. one I wonder.
1: Yeah, and she decides at the end of the episode to have, essentially, sexual reassignment surgery – or yes. mental, you know, like a lobotomy to make yes. her just like everyone else. And Riker is devastated about it. Yep. And I thought it was so so I actually watched that episode with Sean Murphy on his shitty little laptop. He has a terrible <laughs> old laptop. Oh, he
0: hadn't seen it? I'm
1: going it's so terrible. I've I, I've seen every Star Trek The Next Generation. I oh, sometimes podcast about Star
0: Trek. The next, oh, that's hey, okay. we could we could take a Star Trek left turn. Oh my god, you I love it! On, huh? I,
1: it is my like, We will, I'm then so, but go on. Although recently, I have um, started to get involved in Voyager, um, but but
0: are you giving it a second chance or whatever?
1: The the pilot and the beginning were terrible for Voyager, but Next Generation. Once you get past season three and a half, is great in my opinion
0: it got better it did get better although the one thing that drove me nuts about Voyager was by like season six or seven it's like you know we don't care (laughs) we're lost whatever and it's like what what are they
1: trying to get home it sort of started out that way like I cared very much and it was such a like if you go back and watch the two part I think the pilot is a two part series it's terrible it might be the slowest television ever created (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, so bad.
0: it's so bad. Oh no, there's and worse. And it
1: turns into such a great series. Like you've got seven of nine. You have this whole Chakotay and and the the captain thing, like going on. You have it, it turns into a really great show. But well, it, all right, you now, have to. Wait I haven't to had a.
0: W- okay, well, I want to talk to you then, as yeah. a, as a female Star Trek yeah. fan and a gay Star <laughs> Trek fan, and you don't represent your gender or your orientation, <laughs> but at your own point of view, but yeah, really. because. Because I really felt they tried way too hard to turn uh, Seven and Janeway into the female Kirk Spock, kind of.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? And I'm just like, all right, whatever. Yeah. And also, the Chicote Seven romance was like, oh, give me a break. Come on, the captain and Chicote were <laughs> the like... Captain and Chakotay. The captain and Chicote,
1: The captain and Chicote. There's that episode where they go back through time. So, uh, like uh, the captain, they're, the Voyager is caught in a time warp, and there's different areas of the ship go back different, yes. essentially to different seasons. Yep. And the captain has to convince early season Chakotay, who was her enemy, that they're friends, and like, or no, Chakotay has to has to uh, convince her that they're friends. And, and you know in order to go to the next level or to like unlock you know the mystery of the episode right, uh, right. and and it's fantastic i think <laughs> if if all the episodes were like that episode stellar seasons you'
0: no i agree with stellar that stellar seasons now my and also my did you hear by the way a, a couple months ago i had rob Burnett on, talking about his star trek fan movie that he's making
1: i did not
0: oh you'll have to listen to oh was- no it's now that's original series stuff because they're their fan movie that they're making, which looks amazing, yeah. it isn't made yet. There's a thing online called Prelude to Axanar.
1: Yeah. I don't know. And what...
0: it's, it's 20 years before Kirk, and it's, do you know your original series Star Trek stuff at all or no?
1: Sadly, very little.
0: Okay. Well, there was a, there's one where Kirk's in an insane asylum planet, and there's a former starship captain that went nuts that has taken over the asylum. Yeah. And it's Captain Garth of Izar. Okay. And he talks about Captain Garth and oh my god, we studied him at the academy. He chartered the most uncharted space and was like the greatest captain of his generation. Yeah. And it's and it's his story. That's what this fan movie that they're making. It sounds great.
1: That sounds awesome.
0: Watch Prelude Taxonar. It's a twenty minute YouTube fan film. You're gonna be blown away by the the uh, stars in it. Because there are definitely like science fiction actors that you'll recognize that are big actors, and it's all Hollywood pros that are making this fan film. It's it's going to be great.
1: Oh my god! Uh, I
0: feel I feel like I've been doing Donald Trump, Trump lately. It's <laughs> excellent. It's, you're going to love it. It's great. <laughs>
1: just trust me. It's going to be great.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but, um
1: Sean and I were talking about uh, Seven of Nine, and just watching that human woman act. <laughs> is like it's almost an affront to me as an artist because if you, Sean and I have talked about this, if you had a student drawing a human woman with those proportions, with that long of a torso and that sort of shape of body, like she's just, she doesn't look human. Like she doesn't look, she's in no way proportional. And this is the stuff that a lot of people will get up in arms about. Absolutely. Rightfully so. She could do the
0: Spider Woman Monero pose yeah, and and do it exactly. correctly with she, very little effort. She could
1: have been the model, maybe. Like no question, dead. she's got all the features. And, yes, and she I'm does. like, I'm watching this episode with her and her little like uh, leotard yes. or whatever her outfit is. Yeah. And I'm like, where are your internal organs? Like, where physically do they fit inside you? Because or, it's that she so she must not have usual.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming she just didn't eat for five yeah. years or however many she was But it's not on the even show.
1: like a skinny girl thing because there's oh, no. a lot of like willowy blondes in the world and very few of them have the elongated body of seven of nine. Like this woman is stretched out. Like she's just proportionally as an artist, as a person that studies the human form and draws it and, you know, like she is an unusual specimen in all of the ways. Oh yeah. And so it's just it's fascinating. And so
0: No, I agree I agree with you. I absolutely And it's sad because I know what kind of tough life she's had yeah. post Star Trek and yeah. that's really tragic. Yeah. That that really like they accentuated her physicality. Yeah. And unfortunately, I really think it's made her life a living hell. Oh, I
1: don't I don't know anything about her post Star Trek
0: life. Oh, you know, it's it's really complicated unfortunately. And also she was married to Here's boy, here's a great trivia yeah, thing. Give that it, I don't think a lot of people know me. Her husband was Jack Ryan. Okay. And Jack Ryan was a state senator in uh Illinois. No. And he ran no against Barack Obama for the uh US Senator uh seat. Yeah. Was the Republican against him. And um Jerry and Jack had a had a messy divorce and uh the Chicago Tribune, our big newspaper uh, got a hold of the transcripts yeah. and, and to kind of justify like they had parted and it's very weird. And I've heard this from very secondhand, yeah. but that essentially they tarted up a lot of accusations that he like made her go to like a, like a sex club and watch That's like, cool. you know, live sex acts. And she is like, Oh, come on. We just did that to like expedite the divorce. He didn't really do that. And and it's like re- it was, they were sealed, yeah. And the Tribune was able to get them unsealed, and it ruined Jack Ryan. Oh my! God. And truly, I believe because Jack Ryan had this great public story of a private lawyer who taught inner city kids and and like gave up his like ridiculously expensive law practice to really make a difference in the community. And I honestly believe he would have beaten Barack Obama for that Senate seat. And I'm not saying we would have never heard of Barack right. Obama. But we might not have gotten President Obama as early as we did. So
1: you're telling me that seven of nine, positively though, yes, unawarely, influenced yes. the rise of Barack Obama.
0: There is a slingshot around the sun to change time, like story for the right, like that is like so waiting to happen for all you honey badgers out there and. <laughs> Hugo Award deniers and everything, yeah, absolutely, man. There's your, there's your little time paradox. Oh my god, I... save Jack Ryan!
1: I knew that Voyager traveled through time to do exactly this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now, right now, I got to give you my Voyager solution. Yeah. That what I wanted to see in the last season was, yeah. Much like Deep Space Nine mid season, well, actually, nothing like this happened deep in Deep Space Nine mid season. Yeah. But what I wanted is, I wanted them to reach Earth in the middle of the last season. Yeah. And have the Federation go, great, welcome back. And then, okay, you're under arrest. You're under arrest. Let's take the Borg for examination. Yeah. Uh, Janeway, you're going to have a tribunal explaining why you let the Maquis run roughshod over your ship over the last couple of yes. years. And And you set up this kind of cane mutiny tribunal, you know, kind of umbrella thing. Because that last season, as we're waiting for the finale... Was really like all right, whatever, yeah. whatever. Every week, yeah. and at least would have given us a little more juice. And that's when you could have had more explanation and time to develop yeah. Chakotay and, yep. and Seven's relationship, and really kind of, like I said, like or or like hatch some ideas of well, it says here that uh, you know uh, Belana almost caused the life of these people. Can you explain what happened? Well, of course, and like that's your that's your opening scene, yeah. and then you flash to whatever episode you need it to be.
1: Yep, I think uh, I think the great travesty we were talking. Uh, there's a guy Wes who does a podcast called um, Let's Talk Star Trek. I think I think that's okay. what it's called. Uh, his handle is the Pensky File. And I've done a couple of podcasts, the most recent one. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, you get the reference, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so he's going uh, sequentially through all of the Next Generation episodes. That- and I sat in on one of them. The most uh, recent one for me was Brothers, which is when Data goes back. He gets like called uh, by his father.
0: And he goes into, like,
1: yeah, he goes into Crazy Robot and, like...
0: Takes over the ship, redirects the the course. Yeah, goes
1: back to the planet, hangs out with his dad. Lore shows up unexpectedly, (laughs) like, kills his dad by throwing him into a table after stealing Data's basic emotion chip, and then that's the end of the episode. And we spent so much of the time talking about how Data taking over the ship if that was to happen in real time, like right now, would be a season-long event. Like that's not a one and done. Let's never talk about it again. Like Data just <laughs> systematically took over the entire effing ship and rerouted it, and like he had Picard's voice commands and he read. Like he's a killer robot, and then it's just oh, yeah. gone by the end of the episode. So we had a lot of fun <laughs> talking about that. Uh, but there excellent. are a lot of things like it's a 20-year-old show and there are a lot of things that still resonate with me as you know an adult 20 years on um, sure. that, that I wish someone would revisit right now because I think it would be super fascinating, but I can't help but think it would be super dark. Like a Voyager, a Deep Space Nine, a Next Generation, it would have to be super dark, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, but you it's know, honestly, Netflix or something? I was reading, well, there's two things. First, I was reading a, a uh, critique of the way Star Trek on television sort of petered out Yeah, with Enterprise. And it really bothered me because they're like, well, you know, Star Trek wasn't ready to address things like uh, uh, religious-based terrorism or yes, uh, global problems. And I'm like, hi, Deep Space Nine. That's what
1: they were doing. They've been doing that since the original
0: series. Well, that's it's true. And you're 100% and right. And it,
1: it no, it's just yeah. – mishandled. I think it's a – it could be yeah, a completely viable on. property right now, says the well, ex- Trek. Oh, oh, yeah.
0: To me. Yeah. yeah, Star Trek was mishandled. No, I completely agree. And also um, the – or at least the – whatever. The, but it, my point was, yeah, the Deep Space Nine. I'm like – and I even wrote this guy and I'm like yeah. – in, in the talkback. I'm like, uh, Deep Space Nine because they're like, you know, they really didn't cover that in Enterprise. And I'm like, no, because they just spent the last seven years doing it on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I'm like and like I even remember during 911 they pulled deep space 9 because of the fact that it was dealing with you know religious terrorism yeah. and and this kind of yep. fear of of uh religious religious fanaticism taking over a planet and stuff. So, oh, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, everything's
1: <laughs> fine. Okay. Everything's right, fine. Good. Nobody
0: cares. No worries. Oh, I spill things and drop things all the time. Don't worry about it. But uh but the other thing I was going to say was the, what I'm really excited about is, especially finally that the third movie's coming out next summer, yeah. once J.J. Abrams is no longer in control of the Star Trek universe, yeah. I think we are going to get a ton more Star Trek. I, I think, think- – it's going to be just like uh, Disney with Star Wars, where Paramount's going to go, hey, we got one of those. Where's our Star Trek cartoon? Where's our Star Trek Netflix series? Yeah. Where's our every other uh, you know year that we're not doing a, a Kirk and Spock yeah. game? That we're doing other movies? No, I think they're going to go balls to the wall. And if I'm every former cast yeah. member, I'm out doing my sit-ups <laughs> and getting in shape. And I hope they do. I because would love I- to see
1: Riker doing one sit-up. <laughs>
0: You know I love that guy. Have you have you seen him at a con yet?
1: Um I have not and I and I think he's wonderful. I think he's a good director like I think He's wonderful to the franchise, but oh my god, Jonathan Frakes! Come on, man.
0: <laughs> like, do that's us- all right. <laughs> you well, know, he's old enough now. He's, he's he's you know it's okay. He can sit down. <laughs> you know, I mean that's the crazy thing because we do we see the reruns all yes. the time, and, and then you see them now, yeah. and, and oh god, I mean, and they are they're they're all good. Christ, Michael Dorn. I
1: know Michael it looks Dorn. like your grandpa, and he probably is a grandpa. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to see him as like a gray-haired, like old, salty dog? Uh, yes. Like
0: Admiral Ab- Warf, yeah. yes, please, or, or, or Ambassador Warf. Yes, Ambassador
1: yes, Warf! It would be amazing.
0: Well, he, well, you know, he pitched a show. Did he? He pitched, he pitched a show in the last two or three years, and unfortunately, it was while Abrams has had this. Oh. And, and, and 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 again, I don't blame Paramount. Yeah. It was the right decision back yeah.
1: then. I have but to say, we're in a different world, now. the opening scene of the first Abrams movie, uh, the Star Trek, like that first yeah. movie, I yeah, I wept openly. And I weep every time I watch the DVD. Like that oh, uh, scene. Yeah. We're not going to name him after my dad. Are you crazy? Like that whole thing and that oh, yeah. heroic opening brings me to tears every time.
0: Oh, I agree. I no, I like I like agree. George I like George Kirk's uh, little adventure. I think it's great.
1: I love that movie so much.
0: Yeah, but it. unfortunately, all right. So, what'd you think of Star Trek Into Darkness?
1: Uh, I thought it was. <clears throat> I think it left something <laughs> to be desired.
0: I well, I agree, and you know my and my old man rant. Let me see if you agree. And this, you know, you know, Shatner and Nimoy earned that moment of Spock dying. Yeah, and and I mean because again, we've been with them for twenty years. Yeah, and that and I and I say this all the time. The whole subtext to me of Wrath of Khan was Kirk, and it's it's cliche now, but Kirk going, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm getting old, and Spock the whole time like, hey. We got this. Don't worry. I know you're unsure of yourself. I'm not. We've done this a million times. We're gonna do it again. And that's like the whole time. Spock is there with the right solution and the right assurance and everything. And they finally, Khan blows up. You know, they they get they beat Khan. Everything's done. The ship's got its warp drive back. He turns to find his friend who's been there throughout and he's not there. Holy shit. What happened? Yep. And then you get that great moment of, Oh my God, I'm about to lose my right. Yep. Yep. Pine and Quinto did not, uh, uh, deserve that level of us understanding. And so when Quinto goes, my God, you're my friend. It's like, No, no, this is a guy you met six months ago. (laughs) And I'm sure you like him. And I'm sure you're finding that he's your friend. But this is not the guy that will take you to the airport or, you know, help you move. I'm sorry. That, you know, that's that's Shatner and Nimoy. You nice boys are just nice boys. I'm going to
1: say you're being too codgery about it. That bromance for me with and Pine, that was like a bromance of the ages. When he gets Spock to admit that he is compromised and that the Kobayashi Maru actually means something. The fact that he cheats doesn't make him a super cheater. It makes him like, you need to be compromised. There's no unwinnable situation. Like that whole thing was super bromance. Like I'm all about that. I think, yes, like I wanted to high five and bro hug both of them.
0: I like it. All right. I, I will take your difference <laughs> of opinion. I and think I that's think,
1: fine. I don't think it negates what came before. I think part of the... Brilliance of the Abrams is the whole like go through the wormhole of Nemo's big like rift in space or whatever. Like I like uh-huh. that both realities can exist.
0: Oh, absolutely, I agree with there that. Don't need
1: to be one or the other. Like I. Can't oh, I totally get agree with that. A bromantical millennials <laughs> like this is what Kirk and Spock would be if they were annoying millennials.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. And
1: then you get this like old salty dog you know world war ii vet kind of like greatest generation version of them as well i think yeah man
0: the more the okay barrier. i just think, like i said i just think it's too early in their relationship for them to like for for that moment in star trek into yeah. darkness which which was fan service i mean that's the yeah. that's what drove me nuts about it and that was to me the most egregious amount of like yeah we get it yeah we've seen you know we know what's coming yeah But shame on you for not making it a little different and showing this – I mean, that's the thing. I have no problem with them discovering themselves again and discovering the bromance that is going to happen. But
1: it's – for me, everything good that happens happens in the first movie, which is – what is
0: it, just – just, yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, just Star Trek. 2009.
1: And not starts- Into Darkness, right? Into Darkness right. was the second one, right? That's right. Yeah. yep. So for me, everything that's good happens in the first one. And Only- the second one, there were so many eye-rolly moments. Uh, it was just, I found that the first one was transformative for me, and the second one was just sort of like, I love the franchise, but come on, guys. So yeah. I agree with you.
0: Well, and and I'm I'm psyched for three. You got Simon Pegg writing it. Yep. And he's one of us, and yep. if, you know he it's is. like I love all of his movies, and you know even like Run Fat Boy Run mm-hmm. and uh, Paul, and you know even the lesser ones and everything. Yeah. So I'm I'm psyched. I love space oh. for God's sake. Yes. His TV show. So yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for three. But no, more importantly, it's like get Paramount you know full control back and yeah. let's crank out some serious Star Trek.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go with
0: it. I think so. Well, I like where our conversation went today, all over the place, including this little Star Trek rant. I
1: loved it. Star Trek,
0: (laughs) So again, let people know uh, uh, Northwest.com.
1: So NorthwestPress.com is where you you can buy all of my material, all of my creator-owned stuff, which is Duck, an original graphic novel, Uh, Duck Second Chances, That Time I Turned 30 in Greece, which you should know what that's about based on the title. And a history-packed uh, part memoir, part just I needed to make this comic about the Boston Marathon called 26.2, A History of the Boston Marathon, um, which happened before the Boston Marathon bombings. Okay. A trivia fact, I have a great-grandfather that came in second in 1902. 19- yeah. In 1902, we have this gigantic silver cup. Uh,
0: That's fantastic. From,
1: yeah, from the Boston Marathon. Um, and so, yeah, so I have like this family connection to this race and I went to school to college in Boston. And so I always, I grew up watching it on TV and I also would spectate it every year, uh, when it came through in, uh, in the city. And they always have a Red Sox game on a home game during that same weekend. And so it's just like this, it's spring in the city after a cold winter. Everyone's waking up. College kids are like grilling at eight a.m. on the sidewalks, and it's amazing. So
0: Patriots Day, right? Is it that is, what it's yeah. It's Patriots Patriot Day. Day. The
1: whole city shuts down um, yeah. so that the runners can run through the city, and there's it's just super. I don't know. Fact based. I I did all of the researching myself, so I may have gotten some things wrong. But I really spent a lot of time fact-checking everything, and all of the facts in the book are as true as they can be. And so, like, it goes through nine communities. And anyway, if you're interested in races or the Boston Marathon, pick it up. You won't be sorry. Uh, Northwestpress.com. And then I also did some
0: silk stuff or whatever. Oh, oh, I'm saying. And then what? You did some silly stuff, you said? Silk. Silk stuff. Excuse me. Yes, the Silk issues for yeah, Marvel. Yeah, I did
1: Silk number seven uh, before Secret Wars, and I'm doing Silk issues two and three, which will be out in a couple months. And then I have Duck. Third time is the charm, which will be out uh, this June. It should be out. I'm hoping for Memorial Day um, that I'll be finished with everything by Memorial Day because that's the time that this happens. Uh, these lesbians descend on Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is like a gay <laughs> mecca for this okay. party weekend. Uh, and it always happens every year in uh, Massachusetts, at the end of Massachusetts in a little town called Provincetown, which is super gay friendly. Uh, okay. So for years, my friends and I would just go there and party for a weekend. And this is a sort of slice of life comic about what happens there that I'm working on right now that should be out in time for this coming Memorial Day. So it'll be out by May or June. So look for that. Di-
0: are you doing any comic festivals? Or, oh, I'm going to uh, be in content? Thought
1: Bubble, yes. I go to Thought Bubble in the UK in like two and a half weeks. So if you're in oh, English, okay, great. if you are an international listener and you want to shake hands and high five and whatever, I'll be in uh, Thought Bubble the, what, 13th, 14th, and 15th of November.
0: And you mentioned on off-panel that you're going to be doing a panel uh, yes. at Thought Bubble as well, right?
1: Yes, we're doing a um, – I don't know if it's a, it's not specifically queer comics. It's about uh, diversity in comics, but more like gender diversity and that sort of thing. Um, And that's going to be on Sunday the 15th at one. So if you guys are going to Thought Bubble, please come to that panel. It's going to be a really awesome conversation. We've got, uh, Amy reader and Kate Leth and myself and Joe glass. And I'm forgetting a bunch of people. Marguerite Bennett is going to be there as well.
0: Very nice. Yeah.
1: So it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be an awesome conversation. So you don't want to miss that. Come on down.
0: Tremendous. Well, I, I've appreciated our conversation yeah. today. Thank this you for, is so great. Uh, Oh, it was my pleasure truly. And then yeah, I'm really glad that you contacted me and okay. I no no, your, your art is really cool. I, I enjoyed what I saw of duck and, uh, Look forward to those issues of Silk. And truly, I'm, I'm curious about this Boston Marathon comic. Yeah, because, check it out. out. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, talk to me after.
0: I, 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 <laughs> there <laughs> you go. I'll give you some
1: review copies.
0: I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's nice. I'll, I'll give you a book report. Absolutely. No, thanks a lot for coming on, Tana. And uh, people need to check out your stuff. I yeah. hope they do.
1: Thanks so much, John.
0: That's Tana Ford. Check out her excellent books and look forward to her run on Silk. Coming up uh, with issue two. Two issues of Silk coming up from Marvel Comics with uh, Tamna Ford on lead art. And that'll do it for today's episode of Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, John Sentris saying uh, thank you again for uh, your continued support through Patreon. And uh, all the information and uh, subscribing to Word Balloon is uh, right there on the front page of WordBalloon.com. Click on that Patreon ad and it'll get you to the details. Uh, questions or comments about the show, you can reach me via email, John at WordBalloon.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at John WordBalloon. Or on Facebook under my name and also at the Word Balloon Network. If you listen through iTunes, do me a favor and uh, write a review and a rating for Word Balloon. Uh, I, that always helps me out in terms of the standings at iTunes. And uh, lets other people know that you think this is a decent podcast. Even a bad review, doesn't matter. So uh, whatever you feel about Word Balloon. Coming up, uh, more uh, episodes. You'll notice in November I've been releasing uh, single uh, guests and a lot more episodes, and it's because a lot of time-sensitive guests are coming up. And we've also expanded Beyond Comic Book Conversation, and uh, we had Cliff Nesteroff talking about his history of stand-up comedy uh, last week. Well, this week, coming up, we're going to be uh, giving you two uh, interviews about uh, uh, filmmakers that made some excellent documentaries that I highly recommend. They were interesting uh, subjects to me. And given what we normally talk about here on Word Balloon with the guests, I'm sure you'll find them interesting, too. So uh, more on that on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2015.